I was really angry that they didn't want to uh, give me an interview with someone in 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 Nestle. So I came up with this, you could say, crazy idea. Okay, if they don't want to talk to me directly, then I need to talk to them. Um, so I decided to hire a giant uh, screen, really big one, and we drove um, from uh, Germany to Switzerland um, with this giant truck. And we, we, I knew when we arrived to this very exclusive um, uh, town in, in in Switzerland called Vive, where the headquarter of of Nestle is. I knew that we had very short window to 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 actually put up the screen set on the um, the film before the police came okay hello guys welcome to the tools of africa podcast with your host richmond setrana today I have a very interesting guest in our studio. He goes by the name Mr. Miki Misrati. He's a Danish film director. Actually, he's a multi-award winning filmmaker, executive producer, and an author of 14 books. So what makes Mr. Misrati very interesting is that in 2010, he came up with a documentary called The Dark Side of Chocolate that talks about the exploitation and slave trading of African children who harvest cocoa for multi-million dollar chocolate producing companies. And Mr. Mishrati did something that's very interesting, which has really gone viral. So what he did was that when he came up with the finance of the documentary, he presented it to the Nestle headquarters in Switzerland, but they didn't want to give him an ear. So he mounted giant screens across from the headquarters, and then he played the documentary on the giant screens. So we are not here to tell his story. We'll give him the opportunity to tell us the story himself. But this is just a little way for you to understand who Mr. Mishrati is. So Mr. Mishrati, it's an honor to have you on the Tales of Africa podcast. Thank you very much for uh, letting me be part of it. All right, all right. It's an honor to have you. So, Mr. Mishrati, can you probably tell our listeners a little bit about yourself so they get to know who you are and the kind of work that you do? Yeah, um, I have been a filmmaker for more than 25 years. Um, I've produced... um, 85 films, documentaries, um, mostly about social issues or crime stuff. Um, I've been interested in um, in the chocolate industry uh, since that was I started in 2008, um, okay. and, and basically that just started uh, very. Um, uh because i was just a consumer basically trying to buy a uh, a chocolate bar in my local supermarket and uh one of um, there were seven um different uh chocolate bars and one was uh had a fair trade on it and i was just wondering if one is fair trade with about the six others were there's an unfair trade so so i basically was just curious and then I started my investigation and today I think I'm quite well known for my films about the chocolate industry because I've been producing four films yeah so I'm I'm I I think I'm not um someone in the cocoa and chocolate industry who loves me um to be honest wow 
Okay, that's interesting. So um, I think you answered a little bit about the next question that I wanted to ask about you being a Danish man, a European, and you were so interested in the how chocolate is produced, coming all the way to Africa to come and find out um, about the chocolate industry, how the cocoa is being harvested in Africa and all that. So probably you can go a little bit deeper into that because I know you came all the way to Ivory Coast to come and check it out and all that. So why did you show so much yeah. keen interest in it? Is it because maybe Ivory Coast and Ghana are probably the two largest exporters of cocoa beans? Does that also play a role? Yeah, yeah. I've been to um, Ivory Coast and in Ghana and Burkina Faso and Mali, uh, I think 15 times. Um, I have to say my my interest for this as someone live up north in a small tiny country calling Denmark uh, and then being interested in this. That was really because when I started my investigation into cheap chocolate production, um, someone told me you should go to Ivory Coast and you will find that most of um, the production is um, done with help of uh, illegal um, children working either as uh, trafficked from the border countries from Burkina Faso or from Mali um, and then into Ivory Coast. And you will find it all over the place. And the big companies doesn't care. They know about it, but they don't want anyone to talk about it. So I decided to go um, to Ivory Coast with a huge help from an African um, Ivorian uh, journalist I know, um, he said to me, it's quite easy to find. You go to the bush, it's all over the place. And it was so shocking for me to see that children um, down to six years old were working in the cocoa field, not with their families, with, you know, they were from Burkina, they were from... Mali, and I was just curious about how come they traveling from um, such a distance uh, from from places up north in Mali and into Ivory Coast. And then I did my investigation further and met a lot of extremely important people in um, in Mali, extremely important in terms of being helpful. And they said to me, hey, this is our daily life. Um, you should know up north that in Europe, you think that we um, we just uh, do this for fun? No, this is part of our daily life. And then I revealed how the trafficking was ongoing through the border uh, between uh, Mali and, and, and um, Ivory Coast. Um, no one really cared about it. it was you know and then they ended up um in in cocoa fields in ivory coast and that was shocking for me not that locals are involved in it because how can you blame someone who can't afford to to you know to feed their families no i'm talking about the the end users of it the yeah. industry the industry has such a power. They have such a possibility to end this, but they didn't care. And when I did the first film back in 2010, they 
even tried to say, oh, we didn't know about it, which was one big fat lie because it was all over the place. I cannot imagine anyone working for the big corporations in Abidjan. They didn't know about it. It takes a few hours go to the cocoa belt in the West Country, Southwest, and it's all over the place. So I think it's it's about, you know, inside me, I have um, a, um, a desire to try to be an advocate for especially children in need. And we're okay. talking about the most vulnerable people, children. So I want to help people from uh, poor countries to to get a better life and give the responsibility to the one who have the money okay thank you so i'm i'm sure these corporations they can't they can't say they don't know because you came all the way down from denmark right and then yeah. you came to find this and they are they have headquarters in ivory coast and they can't they can't claim that they've never visited the plantations where their cocoa is coming from no, 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 of course not. It's just a lie. And and I think um, the worst part is when you know something is wrong, you it, it, it just makes it even worse. For me, it's important to give this information, especially to the consumers in Europe and US, uh, because they have the power to end this. Because the companies, they don't care. Still in 2023, they don't care. They claim they care. And they claim that they do a lot for the local communities. See, that's also one big fat lie. They do tiny stuff. They have the money. Um, take Nestle, for instance, the world's biggest food company. They have 250,000 employees. They The revenue is so big that I can't even um, count to how much they, they um, uh, the turnover yearly for the company of course they can it's all a matter of pushing them to realize that there is no way out because i will chase them rest of their life and my life okay so now let's talk about the parents of the children that are being trafficked so probably the big corporations are saying hey we don't know anything about what's going on on these plantations but what about the parents so is it like an issue of as you are saying is it poverty that's making the parents willingly give their children out for um, this child labor work on the farms or are the children are some of them being kidnapped or how exactly does a child trafficking work i think what i i can only um say what i have seen with my own eyes what i have been witness to um that was from mali um and burkina faso um often it's it's um local traffickers who basically has been hired by someone to um, try and find some really cheap labor. And they, 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 they are browsing around in small villages and ask children to, uh, to come to places where they can earn money. And, and I am pretty sure that no parents, no matter how poor you are, no parents want to give their own children to anyone. Love is universal. So, of course, you love your children. In some um, aspects, you, you might be um, pushed to do something you will regret later. But when you are so poor that you can't feed your own family, desperation is one thing. But 
selling your own children is basically something I haven't seen with my own eyes. I have seen that a child, she was from Mali, um, we caught her in uh, the border region to uh, the northern part of Ivory Coast. I, in, I, I remember this so clearly. Um, she told me that she was a, a thousand kilometers from home. She told me that her parents were telling her to go and find a job. She was, I can't, I can't remember. Well, I, I don't think she even knew that, but maybe nine, 10, 11 years old. Um, and, 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 and she ended up in the arms of uh, some bad people who want to uh, get her to, uh, to Ivory Coast, um, which was just like devastating. And another time I saw someone also from Mali, he was, um, he was on the other side. Uh, so he was in Ivory Coast and he was crying. He was maybe eight years old. Um, we couldn't do anything because I was afraid of the local militias uh, at that time. Um, but he was crying and and wanted to go home, um, and he couldn't. Um, so we had to leave him at this station where someone was uh, taking him to um, to further south of um, Ivory Coast. And the third thing was in in, in Burkina Faso, where someone was uh, able to escape. Um, he was 10 years old and uh, told me the story about uh, how uh, some older guys were luring him into to, to this uh, job in a plantation. And uh, they were actually from Burkina Faso, the one who did it. Um, but to be honest, it's really difficult for me to be... Um, I don't want to go after the local traffickers. Of course, what they do is absolutely wrong, but um, it could be stopped. This is a part of a bigger, um, a bigger structure where okay. the end um, is uh, the companies and they, can, they, they, could, they could make an end of this. And this is what really makes me sad. Yeah, this this is a really sad occurrence. It's really sad. As you are saying, if the problem is not dealt with, uh, the systematic the problem is systematic at this point. So if it's not dealt with at the at the foundation, it becomes very difficult to tackle the problem. So um, mm -hmm. you, you spoke about how you did not want the local militia coming after you. So I wanted to ask if you faced any challenges uh, coming across, like doing this documentary, because it's very conspicuous. Where a white man. You, you stand out in the community. Yes. People will be like, what are you up to? What is this man doing here? So how did that go about? Um, I think, uh, well, I know it's it's basically, I wouldn't be able to do any of the many things I've been doing without uh, help from uh, local people, fixers who really know the drill, how you... You cannot just go to a community like you do in Europe. Then if you want to talk to someone, you just go and say hello and then asking for uh, stuff. That's not how it works in, in, in many places in Africa. You need to be patient. Every time I have to go to a community um, and, and, and talk to people, because, because they are suspicious, of course. But at the end of the day, when they realize that what I am doing is basically trying to make 
a better living for the locals, uh, there is an acceptance of what I'm doing. And because of the, the local people I work with are so great, they do, without their help, I would, I would have said I, I couldn't do anything. Because you need to have someone who really, really, first of all, speak the local um, language and really knows how a community work and how the chief, you need to go to the chief, you need to be patient, you need to, you know, understand and respect all the culture around it and not just be a, a, um, a white guy who just wants his story. You need to listen. And remember... The many places I've been going to, some say no because they are afraid and some are afraid of I am working with the local government or whatever, um, but I'm not. Um, so I think um, it's all about uh, being um, trustful um, and and I think the local ones I work with, really professional people, um, they trust in me, I trust in them, because as I always say, the only currency I have in life is my trust. If you don't trust in me, I can't do anything you know, to, to change that. So trust is such a, an important um, thing. Okay, so what about like, uh, were there threats? Maybe the, the uh, local child traffickers, they come after you, local militia, were, were you in any danger of any kind? Uh, yeah, well, once I was, uh, that was in Mali, because one thing, yeah, of course, if, if locals will know this, but don't drive in the bush in the night. So, but we had to go from a border town, the south of uh, Mali into uh, Ivory Coast. So we had to leave the, the, the town because people were talking about, you know, not many white people were out there. So my local uh, guy said to me, hey, we have to leave, um, uh, no matter that it is, it's in, in very dark now. So halfway um, in our drive, we were stopped by local militias in, in Mali, and they, they had like um, big um, uh, AK-47. And, and yeah. I remember I was scared because... You know, wow. getting stopped by local militias can be like quite um, dangerous. But and I and I looked at my uh, my uh, my fixer, and he looked <laughs> a bit scared too. That was where I knew there was something really wrong. And he said mm -hmm. to me, "Just give them every single penny you have in your pockets." Um, and I gave them all my money, and I think at that point. They were happy, so they, you know, I was scared. One yeah. second I thought, should I just say I don't have any money? But realizing if they were um, asking to look at my pockets, and they're not stupid, they know I have money because otherwise, why would I travel? So um, that at that point I was really scared. But in terms of traffickers, I haven't. Um, met any threats um, but remember when I work in the bush I never stay too long each places you know you need to go in do your stuff go 
and and then uh, go again and you can always come back again but never stay too long in any places um that's something i learned in angola um during the civil war um how dangerous it can be if you stay too long one place yeah so um how long did it take you to complete the whole documentary from the time you began until it was completed oh yeah it takes eight to 12 months yeah it's a long time um and it's really um, expensive to do uh, films like this um and and there is lots of risks um involved uh risk in terms of you never know if you get your stories you spend a lot of time um you never know if if you get what you need um so but i have always been someone who takes risks in life not stupid risks but risks um i think if you if you stay safe you're never going to change anything in this world you need you need to to you know go an extra mile to um to achieve your goals it doesn't matter what you do in life i think um if you stay safe all your life it might be all right but but it's not going to change anything um so so it takes a long time to to make this with a big risk of course um yeah okay thank you for the insight so it took you about 12 months a year to complete the whole documentary i'm sure you presented your findings to the companies that claimed they didn't know about child labor and all that so what was their response probably from the um ivorian government from the corporations that you presented to what was, what was the general response I, the latest film i've done the chocolate war which just came out last year uh, the first lady of ivory coast um uh, dominique uh, watara uh, she was so angry at me so wow. she yeah she hired uh one of the big law firm in washington dc and us to get um to to come after me and try to stop the film um and 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 then they realized that the film was not produced in the us but in denmark then the us law firm then hired the biggest law firm in denmark um to be working on behalf of the first lady um and they tried to um to uh, to stop the film uh, by going to the broadcasters and do everything to 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 miscredit me um which was surprising because the yeah. first lady is the one who is claiming that she is the face of the fight against child labor in her own country and then she tried to go after me that was just so ridiculous and also a bit shocking um the good news is she didn't manage to succeed her her case against me um but but now i can openly tell the story about how she was trying to stop someone um doing a film um of uh, how the situation in her country is and you know what i asked her directly through her uh, pr manager 
to be on camera doing an interview to tell her about this. And she just rejected everything and came after me with lawsuits. But the good thing is, I'm not afraid of lawsuits. They can do whatever they do. I am trying to give the general public in Europe, in US, in Africa, and I really appreciate this podcast because I think this information needs to come out in Africa too because lots of people do not know in Africa how, uh, especially West Africa, knows how this um, industry works if they are not part of the industry. But it's 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 corrupted. It's it's corrupted from the company owners um, all up to the top of um, of the governments, um, in my opinion, and 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 makes me sad because, of course, the first lady should really do everything to stop this. She claims she does it. She doesn't want to go on camera. Um, and and now I probably can't go back to Ivory Coast because then I probably would be arrested first thing in the airport. This is this is an interesting revelation. So I don't know what's 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 why is she coming after you? I thought you were doing a good thing for the Ivorian <laughs> government. Yeah, I thought so too. Um, it's 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 interesting. It was because we were questioning um, a project. She is head of a child rescue center um she runs a few uh, child rescue centers centers who actually are built to um um to take care of children who works in uh illegal in in the cocoa industry the thing is when we visit that place that very day it was completely empty new school new uh, dorms, everything was new, um, but it has been open for quite a, a few years and it was empty. Wow. As, 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 as someone told me at the place, children should be hanging out the windows. You know, where yeah. are the children? For me, this was just a kind of a um, showing off uh, site. Um, let's just say that they have rescued a few kids, 30 or something during a year. 30. We are talking about official numbers in Ghana and Ivory Coast. 1.56 million children are working in the cocoa industry. They don't go to school. They are um, uh, uh, um, um, the same as illegal child labor. And then we are not talking about the trafficked one. We're talking about the Ivorian one only. So so saying that they are doing a good job, I I I'm still waiting to see that happen. You know, it's so I, I guess she was just really pissed off at me that I was even questioning this. But I think you need to be able to ask all the uh, the questions, um, even to the first lady. Now she is claiming that she is the 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 f- funding this um, issue in her campaigns and and uh, yeah, in very officially basically. So um, so I, I I was shocked that she was um, looking at me as a threat instead of the companies. Maybe, and I'm saying maybe, the reason why. She doesn't want to go after the 
um, companies is because they pay a lot of money. They are a big part of the country. Imagine Cargill and Nestle. They are giant. They are some of the biggest chocolate uh, manufacturers and buyers in the world. And they spend a lot of money in the country. So maybe it's because the first lady doesn't really want to do much about it. I don't know. I'm just guessing. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. So you 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 seem like a very bold, audacious person. So that also brings us to our next question about you mounting you mounting giant screens um, across Nestle's headquarters in Switzerland. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. Yes. Um, the reason why um, I was really um, I was really angry that they didn't want to. Uh, give me an interview with someone in, in 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 Nestle. So I came up with this, you could say, crazy idea. Okay, if they don't want to talk to me directly, then I need to talk to them. Um, okay. So I decided to hire a giant uh, screen, really big one, and we drove um, from uh, Germany to Switzerland um, with this giant truck. And we, we, I knew when we arrived to this very exclusive um, uh, town in, in, in Switzerland called Vive, where the headquarter of, of Nestle is, I knew that we had very short window to, to, to actually put up the screen, set on the, um, um, the film before the police came. So, you know, it was really stressful but we managed to do it, and like uh, ten minutes in the film, uh, police were coming uh, to the site and asking who is in charge of this. And I had to raise my hand and say, "It's me." I I was there with my uh, cinematographer and all the operators for the uh, for the for the screen, and um, and he said, um, "Is this a film uh, pro Nestle or against Nestle?" And I said to her, well, this is a film for the children of Africa. And he said, you're not allowed to do this, so give me your passport. I gave him my passport. And he said to me, um, unless you are taking down this right away, you will get arrested. And I can tell you, you are not allowed to come in this canton, which is the region um, in, in, uh, in, in Switzerland. So... We managed to do what we were looking for and got this extra where uh, the police were were asking, in my opinion, a really stupid question if it was against or pro-Nestle. Um, um, but it worked out very well um, because I got my, my um, informations out uh, despite I am banned in that um, part of Switzerland, um, but I think it was worth. Wow! So <laughs> I'm sure then you also don't eat Nestle products, probably. No, I don't. I boycotting uh, everything from Nestle. But but beware about Nestle. Nestle owns two thousand brands, hmm. um, and and people are not aware of that. So 2,000 different brands within food, chocolate, water, soft drinks, whatever it is. But I'm always looking at 
uh, at uh, any um, signs on everything I buy because I never buy anything from Nestle. That's interesting. And you know, sometimes you have to pay the price sacrifice for a greater good. So thank you. Mm. It's been about 11 years since the documentary was published, at least on YouTube. I checked it out on YouTube. It has about 2.5 million views on YouTube. That's quite impressive. So what will you say has been the impact of the film aside from its impressive YouTube views? I, I, I think a lot of... I think the biggest impact is that more and more consumers, more and more people are aware of this problem. Um, I think it has been going too slow um, to make changes. But beware, when I did my first film, um, the companies rejected everything and said we didn't know anything. Today, they cannot say that. So they are more focused on it. And I think they are really afraid of um, the consumers. They're afraid of people not buying their uh, brands. Um, mm. So I think the biggest impact is uh, has been or is uh, the, um, the fact that more and more people are aware of chocolate might be produced by child labor or child slaves, which is I, even using the word in 2023 is just making me um, angry. Um, how dare you uh, produce anything by child slaves? I, I'm just like, this is, this is so surreal for me. Um, and as I said um, so many times, I do not understand why the first thing they should do when they get up in the morning is, we need to stop this. And they can, but they don't want to. So I think I continue my battle against the giant chocolate industry. Um, and I think podcasters like you do or any locals who actually is also spreading the information, spreading the information is what the industry is afraid of so it's interesting that you a foreigner will come to africa and stand up for something as great as this and even get yourself probably banned from ivory coast banned from some parts of switzerland it's interesting and it seems a lot of africans are here we are obvious of what is going on or we probably we don't even care about it so i don't know what do you have to say about that what can you say to spare african on to also motivate relevant authorities and consumers to stand up for the things that you are standing up for in the in the cocoa industry no i think um there are like um a few really um interesting people i've met in ghana in mali in burkina in ivory coast who really try to do things there are locals who are not just closing their eyes but the thing is, it's so difficult um, with the media situation in many African countries where it's not like open and free media. But okay. but there is a giant change now that people okay. can do their own media. And I think, you know, spreading it in 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 information in, in online is a way. And and I cannot stress enough how important it is that young Africans are 
um, standing up, raising up against, uh, raised them up against the big corporations because none of the big corporations care about them. They don't care. So I think it's it's time to um, to stand up and say enough is enough. And I see a lot of extremely good um, development uh, in in other industries where where locals are trying to um, to to stand up and and go against uh, this. It's colonial, basically, because this is yeah. what it was. Why is it that it is an African companies who makes the chocolate? Why is it yeah. it has to be Swiss or U.S. companies? I know a few African chocolate makers. They're really good. One in Togo, um, he is doing a brilliant job. He's Togolese. He has his own plantations. He now has a small factory. And the Togolese um, national um, airways are using his chocolate uh, on board. This is the way the African needs to take control of their own uh, material, raw material, make businesses and sell it to abroad. Thank you so much. I think you've given us a lot to ponder on, a lot to chew on. Thank you so much, Mr. Mishrati. I think our time is up. It was an honor, a great privilege to have you on the Tales of Africa podcast. I am sure our listeners have also picked a thing or two from what you've said. You've also motivated young Africans who want to be challenged by the status quo, be challenged by systemic oppression, systemic problems to also um, sacrifice themselves for a greater good. So thank you so much to our listeners. This has been a Tales of Africa podcast. Follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, Instagram, on YouTube, Tales of Africa. We'll catch you another time. Bye-bye.